Good morning, guys. How's that extra hour treating you this morning? I was grateful. All right, I was grateful. Uh, let me ask you guys a few quick questions, and I want super participation, okay? They're going to be layup, layup questions. How many guys have ever been to the beach in this room? Okay, all right, that's a lot. How many of you guys like, watch TV like on a semi-daily or daily basis? Sweet, 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 perfect. How many of you guys, be honest, how many of you guys have ever like eaten sushi? Okay, all right. How many of you guys have ever had a Bible teacher with a mullet? All right, it's rare, it's rare, all right? It's rare, that's all I'm gonna say about that. All right, I had to address it. I was told I had to address it. It's all good. All right, so... Uh, we're starting a series that's going to last through this month, and it's all about grace. It's about God's grace. And so um, if you have your Bibles, if you have physical Bible or you got an iPad or whatever, um, whatever, you know, we call Bible now, um, go to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And while you do that, I'm just going to give you some uh, background on what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, I just want to talk about the word grace today. It's going to be simple, and we're going to have some fun with it. Uh, I just want to talk about the word grace, uh, what the biblical authors meant when they used this word in the scriptures. That's all I want to talk about. And so we're going to learn a few words. It's going to be fun. You're going to get to pronounce some old Hebrew words out loud with me. So, I mean, we're just going to have some fun this morning. Uh, the video set me up. It was very weighty. And then we're just going to blast through the roof with this. All right. So if you're at Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, uh, what we're seeing in this passage is that the Israelites have been delivered from slavery. They're out of Egypt, and they come to this mountain. They come to Mount Sinai. And so they're kind of all camped out around the mountain. And Moses goes up Mount Sinai to communicate with God. And they're going to get the Ten Commandments. God's going to, like, make a covenant with this group of people, and like almost like a marriage covenant where he's going to be there for them. And so as God and Moses are together on the mountain, this is what we see. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. And so what I really just want to pull out of this, uh, this is a really important biblical text. It's, it's the first time in the entire Bible that God describes himself, which is cool if you're into Bible nerd stuff like I am. And then another cool thing is that this is the most quoted and reused scripture in the entire Hebrew Bible. So in your entire Old Testament, like the Bible that Jesus had, like this is the most quoted scripture of all the biblical authors, which is really awesome. So it's really important. And so in this, you see that God calls himself gracious. So this is a word, gracious, that's familiar to you, I assume. It's familiar like in our uh, language and our culture. And we need to take some time to think through the different uh, meanings that this word has, and then we're going to talk about how it's used throughout the Bible, and this will help us better understand what it means for a person to be gracious, and then more specifically and more importantly, what it means for the creator God of the universe to be gracious. And so in our contemporary English, to be gracious typically means that you're like kind, you're courteous, or maybe you're even delightful. We hear this word used to describe someone's surprising and kind attitude to someone who's maybe in a difficult situation or someone who's done something bad, like you'll hear, oh, he was so gracious to that rude stranger. Or maybe someone will say, oh, she exudes grace under pressure. So someone who's gracious in our language is an enjoyable person to be around because they bring light and life to others, right? 
And so we have another meaning of the word grace that we use. Another common English meaning is to be like forgiving or merciful or compassionate. So someone would say like, oh, it was gracious of my mom to just give me a warning about that thing. Or the judge's lenient verdict was gracious. We'll hear this a lot. And so these definitions of grace and gracious can be connected by the idea that to be gracious is to show kindness to others or to delight in others. Um, and maybe even to someone that's not deserving of that delight or that kindness. And so these two meanings, this is rare. Like these two meanings are also connected in Hebrew thought. So we have these two words, grace and gracious, and these two ideas about it in our like kind of English language. And it's very similar to the Hebrew connected like thought on grace, which is rare. You don't see that a lot. And so um, when God calls himself gracious here in Exodus, what he means is that he sees you as a treasure and he delights in you regardless of your status or your behavior. And so like that's where we're headed with this. And so the first thing that we're going to do, this is going to be fun. We are going to go to what the word grace is in Hebrew. And so our English word is grace. And then in Hebrew, the word that usually gets translated as grace, this word is hen. All right. And so what I want you to say, I want you to say hen out loud like a chicken. Say hen on three. One, two, three, hen. All right. You nailed that one. Now, just clear your throat a little bit at the start. I promise. That's all you got to do. Just clear your throat a little bit, and you're just going to go hen like that. All right? So on three, we're all going to say it together. I'm going to say it. You're going to say it. It's fine. One, two, three, hen. I mean, it's better. You guys are getting good. You guys are good. And so this word, hen, is used all throughout the Old Testament, right? And a lot of the time, uh, what it means in a situation gets translated as grace, We'll see it gets translated as a few different words, uh, and that's kind of the whole point of my message today. So we're going to dive into that. One of the meanings of this word, hen, in the Old Testament, uh, it's grace, but it's grace as beauty, right? And so we'll see a lot um, that when something is hen, it elicits a certain response from you. Like it gives you delight to see something that's hen. And so it might give you that good response because it's elegant or charming or maybe even because it's beautiful. And so uh, anything that you encounter, like this is crazy, anything that you encounter that brings you delight is hen. And so an example of this is in, uh, so in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs starts and it's the author is passing down like words of God's wisdom to his son. And so you read a couple chapters of like words of God's wisdom. And so talking about these words of wisdom, the author says, they will be life for your soul and an ornament of hen to adorn your neck. It gets translated as an ornament of grace to adorn your neck. So like we would never use grace like this, right? So this doesn't make sense when, it first, when you first read it on the page. It definitely didn't to me. And so if you think about this, wearing a necklace, like a beautiful necklace, it brings you delight to wear. Like that's why you wear it, right? And it also brings delight to other people because they see the necklace and they're like, that's, that's a pretty thing. Like, I want to look at that some more or else why would we wear these things? And so the teacher here of this proverb is asking you to think of God's wisdom like that necklace. That's why he says it. And so something can be hen and be grace and it's something that's beautiful. And so there's multiple examples of this. This is really cool. So in Psalm 45, uh, this psalm opens with my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And so the setting here is like a poet 
And you can just imagine like the poet is in the royal court. He's before the king and he's about to like read his poetry, right? So it's like probably intense. It's a beautiful scene. The poet is in front of the king and he says to the king, you are the most handsome of the sons of men or you are the more fair than the sons of men. So you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. So in this, like we see uh, immediately as the author tells the king that like you're just a beautiful human being, like you're a beautiful creation to the king. So he loves his king, and now we have beauty on our mind. And this is intentional by the author. We have beauty on our mind, and then he says something weird to us, right? He says, grace is poured upon your lips. And so if you think about this, like for something to be poured upon somebody's lips, it means that the king speaks life, right? Like the king has beautiful words. He loves his king. His king, he thinks, is just the most handsome thing ever. And what comes out of the king's mouth is grace. It's life-giving, and it's like, it's beautiful. And so a gifted poet in the Bible, you'll see that a gifted poet is said to have lips of chin or lips of grace. So the poet's lips create beauty when he uses them for his poetry. So grace is beauty, and this is going to be really important. Uh, another example of this is in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19. The author says, as a loving doe and a graceful deer. So like, I mean, we would kind of use this. Like we could, I could see some of us like calling a deer graceful or like a dancer graceful or like Michael Jordan graceful. Like I've done that for sure. And so a deer that moves swiftly and elegantly is referred to as a deer of chen, a deer of grace. And so all these are just examples so that we can understand that chen describes beauty, elegance, or something worth treasuring. To find chen is to find a treasure. So grace is beauty. We're also going to see that grace is favor. And so a lot of times in the Bible, like another way that we're going to see it used throughout Scripture is when someone asks to be treated like a treasure, like when they ask to be treated favorably. And so, um, I mean, we do this a lot. Like we'll ask someone to like forgive us or to like view us in a certain way or treat us with value. And so uh, there's this phrase all throughout the Bible that you'll read, and it's find favor in someone's eyes. Like you'll read that, oh, this person found favor in God's eyes or let me find favor in your eyes. And this means like, Look at me like I'm valuable. Like, look at me like I'm valuable in this situation, whether it's to have mercy on me or to give me something or treat me a certain way. And this is used like 47 times throughout Scripture. And what's going to be very important is that this phrase, to find favor, to find a chen in someone's eyes, is only used in the Bible for someone of higher status looking upon someone of lower status with favor. And a good example of this is in Genesis 39. So Joseph was a slave. His brother's sold him into slavery because his dad favored him. So it kind of goes full circle. His dad favored Joseph the most. He gives him this awesome technicolor dream coat, and then his brothers get mad. They sell him into slavery. So he becomes a slave, but he finds chen, he finds favor, or grace, in the eyes of his master, Potiphar. And so in Genesis 39, 4, it says, so Joseph found favor in his sight. He found chen in his sight and became his personal servant. And Potiphar made him overseer over his house and all that he owned, he put in his charge. So when Potiphar looked at Joseph, he didn't just see some lowly slave for some reason. He looked at him and Joseph found chen in Potiphar's eyes. He looked at him and he saw Joseph as something of value. 
He didn't just see him as a lowly slave. He saw Joseph, like you'll read in the story, like he sees Joseph as someone who's like, he sees Joseph as a good-looking, capable person, and he puts him in charge of his household, right? And so Yahweh, God, was with Joseph, and Joseph had these gifts, and it causes Potiphar to look on him with favor. The same way that you guys look at your kids with favor or your friends with favor, this is just digging into the meaning of grace here. And so a great example of this where we'll see someone of higher status, just like Potiphar looking on Joseph, we see a landowner named Boaz in the Old Testament, and he decides to take care of this widowed immigrant named Ruth by letting her eat out of his field for free. And so in response to this, she says, why have I found chen in your eyes? So Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, she says, or it says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, said to Boaz, why have I found favor, found chen in your sight, that you should notice me, since I'm a foreigner? So someone in authority can find someone of lesser status as worthy of chen. And all of us, in every aspect of our lives, sometimes we're the person of authority, and sometimes we're the person of lesser authority. Like, we're all in both situations, oftentimes. And so as a result, in the, in the, in the stories, like, the person of lower status is treated with higher regard than their, like, societal position would necessitate. They get treated, like, in a way that the person of higher status isn't obligated to treat them. This is really interesting, and just remember that as we get to Jesus later. And so someone in a lowly position can ask someone superior. They can say, let me find chen in your eyes. Like, look at me like I'm valuable and treat me a certain way. And so this leads to us seeing grace in the Bible as action. Like, grace is an action. And this is going to be fun. We get to say words again. Uh, so chen, when it's used as a verb in Hebrew, is chanan. So it's like hanan, but you clear your throat at the beginning. So we're going to say chanan together, all right? One, two, three, chanan. It's good. It's good, y'all. I like it. And so when it's used as a verb, the word means that you're bestowing chen, like value, delight, favor, like you're bestowing it upon someone. And so remember, always someone of higher status, generosity towards someone of lower status. And so in Esther, we see this. Esther goes to the king, and she asks the king to spare her people from this destruction that's going to happen to them. And she asks for chanan, right? She asks for him to bestow chen upon her people. And Esther is a subordinate, and she's making a request to a superior, He's not obligated to grant this request, right? But he does so. It says he shows Hanan. He shows favor. We know from the story, like, the king finds Esther beautiful. He thinks she's a beautiful person, and he looks at her favorably. And so he grants her favor, even though he's not obligated to. She's a subordinate, and she's asking him to avert his plans, and he does so. And so we see grace as action. So when someone consistently does this, what would we call someone who consistently shows favor, is favorable towards people of lower status. We would call them gracious, right? So we're going to talk about our gracious God. And so when chen is used as an adjective, so we've got chen, chanun is the next one. So an adjective form, we're going to try it one more time. We're going to keep clearing our throats. Uh, we're going to say hanun, but we're going to hear the throat at the beginning. So we're going to go chanun on three. Ready? One, two, three. Chanun. Nailed it, nailed it. So in the Bible, the person that shows the most chanun, the person that is the most consistent, 
in favoring, uh, showing favor towards people of lower status is, you guessed it, God, right? Our God throughout the Bible shows chanun to people of lower status, which is everyone, right? Every human is of a lower status than God. There are no humans above God. And so God treasures us. He looks at us like we're these beautiful necklace or the elegant deer or Esther, who is like a Persian beauty queen. Like he views all of us this way. And he doesn't do it because we deserve it. In fact, the story of the Bible is all about humans constantly messing up. Like we lie, we cheat, we steal, we kill, we do all these things repeatedly. We go out of our way to show God that we don't deserve to be favored. But despite our failings, God is chanun. He's gracious. And so the context of that Exodus, Exodus passage that we read at the start, this is where God first calls himself gracious, and it's a powerful example of him being gracious. He's just rescued them out of slavery, and he's brought them to safety, and he makes a covenant with them. And the first thing they do is make an idol statue of another God, right? And they say, no, the golden calf is what brought us out of Egypt, because that makes sense, right? That's what they do right in God's face. They break two of his commandments of the covenant immediately. Like when you read this, like a lot of you guys have probably like started in Genesis 1 and you're reading through the Bible. When you get to this, you like face palm yourself and you're like, come on, y'all, like what are you doing? And so they do this. And what's God's response? He calls himself gracious. And he continues to show favor on humanity even when we rebel to this day. So this attribute of God, his graciousness, his chanun, uh, is something that Scripture, the whole Bible, it celebrates this, right? And so it's presented as the undeserved gift it truly is. So we're going to read Psalm chapter 103. This is where David is basically quoting Exodus 34, like he knows the Scripture well. He says, the Lord is compassionate and chanun, gracious. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, but he also hasn't rewarded us for our sins. And so we can trust in our own lives to this day. Like we can trust that God will be gracious with us because it's who he is. And it's even something that we can be empowered to ask of him, which like I know I don't do enough of. Like we might not do that. Like you might not feel empowered all the time to ask God to be gracious with you. But there's a, a great instance in scripture where someone like a biblical hero does this. In Psalm 51, David asks for God to be chanun. He says, be gracious with me. And David is in like a, a mess. Like if you know the story, like David sees this woman, he like takes her for himself and sleeps with her and he has her husband killed and then he gets confronted and like it's a mess. But it's David's fault. Like he created that circumstance for himself. It's a result of his own sin. But he asks God to be gracious. And so Psalm 51 says, be chanun to me, be gracious to me, according to your loyal love, according to your compassion, blot out my rebellious acts. This is cool, right? This is one of the reasons why it's really cool to like pray scripture to God, because like, what's David doing? Like, he's praying scripture to God. He's praying Exodus 34 to God right now. I'm like, we can do that. We can pray scripture to God. And one thing that David does, you see Moses do it, like, he reminds God like who he is, not like God forgot, but he's like, God, like you said you were gracious, like, and I need it now, like I need it bad. And Moses does that. So like when God is ready to be done with the Israelites and he's like, 
y'all deserve just to be wiped out. What does Moses do? Moses says like, but God, like you're compassionate and you're gracious. And God's like, thank you, Moses. Like, yes, you're right. I'm gonna be gracious. And so we can do that in our own lives. We have the power to, like, to ask God to show his chanun, his graciousness to us. And so the whole story of the Bible, like we started from the beginning, the whole story of the Bible is about God just relentlessly pursuing a relationship with humanity. And he continually strives to show us favor, even when we betray him, even when we turn our backs on him. And throughout the Bible, we see the God of the universe constantly find ways to reconcile just our hard-heartedness, our rebelliousness. He wants to constantly just bring us back to him. And that's what it means for God to be gracious. And like the next thing is where just the roof gets blown off. This is crazy. This is about God's chen embodied in Jesus, right? This is so cool. So God's chen, like he describes his character traits in Exodus 34 and his graciousness, like this is just encapsulated and embodied in Jesus of Nazareth. And so when Jesus' first followers looked back at Jesus' just perfect life, death, and resurrection, the vocabulary that they used when they write about him and talk about him, they use the words grace and gift constantly. And so I'm going to read you guys uh, a passage out of John chapter 1, and it's basically like John creating a Jesus-soaked messianic version of Exodus 34, 6. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So remember all the packed dense meaning in the word of grace when he says that. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. So he's thinking about the story. He's thinking about the Exodus story. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So in the story of Jesus, God's gracious favor, looking at you like you're a treasure, it's found its embodiment in Jesus. It's become a person in Jesus. The ultimate gift of God's generous love was given without regard to status or worth, like we saw with Joseph, like we saw with Boaz. And even more, it's given to those who are unworthy of the gift, and instead they deserve justice, right? Because there are examples, like oftentimes with our English word of grace, we think of grace as just like, it's only like you don't deserve it. So like, it's just like pitiful mercy, like you don't deserve this, but I'm going to show you grace. Like, we say that a lot, like, just show them some grace. And it's like, that's not what the biblical authors meant by the word. Because the first person in the Bible to find chen in God's eyes, to find favor in God's eyes, is Noah. And we know, like, the passage, the beginning of uh, Genesis 6, the flood narrative, like, we're seeing the world through God's eyes, right? He says that he saw the world and that everybody all their thoughts were just bad. All their thoughts were evil. But he sees Noah, and he sees Noah as righteous. He says that Noah was righteous and blameless in his day, and that he found favor in God's eyes. So we see that Noah finds favor in God's eyes because he deserves it, because he's righteous and blameless. And so we cannot let our modern interpretation of Scripture or our inherent view of God based on maybe our earthly father, we can't let that, we can't spit that onto the page of the Bible and think this is how it's supposed to be read, because it's not. So grace is not just this pitiful mercy given to us, which is how oftentimes we feel 
when we feel like we're not valued. But instead, it means God treasures you. God sees you as something beautiful. When God sees you, it elicits a delightful response in him. Like, have you ever thought about that? I know I don't think about that. Like, do you ever think when the creator of the universe looks at me, it gives him a delightful feeling? Like, that is just insane to think about. And so that's what comes to earth in Jesus. And so it's not just you have to be Noah and you have to be perfect and blameless in your day to get the grace. It's like when you believe in Jesus, that's how God sees you. God sees you as righteous and blameless. And so it's just, I mean, it's just amazing. And so like that's such a mismatch from how we feel as a little human earthling that's just constantly sinning. And so someone who just sees this mismatch perfectly is the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to look at some of the things that Paul said about grace. So Paul is very aware of the mismatch between his worth and the gift of God's grace shown to him through Jesus. And so he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And the grace, remember, that's not pitiful mercy. That is, I see you as a treasure. I delight in you. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And so the last scripture that I'm going to read for you this morning is from the book of Ephesians, and it's like, it's amazing. And so when you really just stop and like think about it, Paul describes humanity as the living dead, like we're zombies, right? He describes humanity as the living dead. He talks about how we're captive to the powers of sin and death and selfishness and all these things. But God, thank God, God is rich in mercy, he's rich in love, and he's given life to the dead through Jesus. And he says that he did this as a display of the surpassing abundance of his favor or his grace. Paul calls this the gift of God. And so we're going to read Ephesians 2 together this morning. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's not work for those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of, our, cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. So like pause, take account of all the things we learned about the word grace. It is by grace you've been saved. It's because God sees you as a treasure. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by work so that you could boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So one thing, I want to tie Ephesians 2 back to the Joseph story uh, where Potiphar shows him grace. When, when the disciples use the word gift and they talk about Jesus and they talk about uh, our salvation, we can read that as a 21st century American and we think, oh, a gift is something that you get because you were born or because there's like a Christmas tree, like that's what a gift is. But that's not what a gift was to every other civilization before us, right? Gifts used to be like, I'm gonna give this gift to this person of value because they're gonna have something to give me. Like, I'm gonna give them this gift and they're gonna be indebted to me. That was how they viewed a gift, right? And so there's a couple really cool things there that I wanna talk about. One, we see this in Joseph, right? So Potiphar gives him the gift of grace, like he's graceful with him, but then he gives him a lot of responsibility and he puts him in charge of his household. And so this is really important because God gives us a gift in Jesus, but it's not a birthday gift where you just get it because you were born and like you don't have to do anything. Like we're given a gift, Paul says right here, because we have good works to do. We have good works and good words to give out to people. And so when we receive that gift, when you take the gift, as Webby says, like Webby talks about, the gift is there, like, and it's ready for you, but you have to take it. You have to make the decision to believe in Jesus. And so when the Holy Spirit just blows you up and you take the gift, like, you get good work to do, and like, that's really good news. And another cool thing about this is that in the gospel, you know, the gospel authors, because of what Jesus really was, like they have a way of flipping everything on its head and kind of like the whole like Matthew story is just like this upside down kingdom. And I sh- all right, what time? I don't, I don't know. This is second service. I don't have to, we don't have time. We have to be done. This isn't in the notes. We're just rolling. And so like, like the upside down kingdom, like Jesus flips what it means to be a king on its head, right? Because like we talked about this uh, one time with like the students upstairs with the sixth through 12th graders and I was like, I think I said, like, how is Jesus, like, different than every other king in history? And, like, we had so many good answers. Like, one kid said, like, well, it's because he was actually successful, and every other king, like, never has been. And I was like, my goodness, I never thought about that. And then this other king, or this other kid was like, well, Jesus as a king, like, he was the only one that, like, didn't try to get what he wanted through force. And I was like, my goodness, like, you're just, like, killing it right now. And so we talk about the upside-down kingdom, And Jesus gives us the gift without wanting anything in return, right? Except that we follow him and love him. But it's not like we have to give him something back. And so Jesus flips this on its head where you don't have to feel like, oh, I was given grace and so like, I have to be perfect. Like I have to, I have to check these three boxes every day, like, because that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to love him. Jesus wants you to follow him. And we don't follow him like we'll see in John 6, like we don't follow him because we want his stuff. Like, we want to love the creator more than the creation. Like, that's what the world gets caught up in. That's what the world wants you to get caught up in, which is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. He says the ruler of the air, the opposer, the Satan. Like, he wants you to love creation and not the creator. But we want to set our eyes on the creator. And then we can love creation to a higher level than anyone else. And so we talk about this all the time up in the yak. Like, as a Christian... When you're renewed, you're a new creation, you have a renewed heart in Jesus, like God's gift to you in food or TV or friendship or sports or music or whatever, like it doesn't end at the enjoyment of, it doesn't end when the meal's over. It ends like, there's no ceiling, like you get to enjoy a savior, a creator God that has put gifts on earth for you for the joy of your heart and for his glory. And so we can enjoy 
whatever, basketball, buffalo wings, friendship, whatever it is, like we can enjoy that to a level that the world doesn't get to because our eyes aren't on the buffalo wing. Our eyes are on the creator that put it there for the joy of our hearts as a gift. And so God is not looking at you like you're just a project. He's not looking at you like he just needs to give you this pitiful mercy. He sees you as a treasure. So just remember that this week, like God views you as something with value. He sees you as a treasure, and he delights in you when he looks at you. And so just like let that sink into your heart and then just reciprocate it to the world. Like that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to love him, and he wants us to love others. And so people might not always deserve your grace. Most of the time they probably don't, but we never deserve God's grace, and he gave it to us. So I just pray that this week and for the, I mean, forever, that we would just go out and show that grace to everyone around us, whether they deserve it or not. We just want to look at them like the treasure that they are, that God created them to be. And so that's what I'm just going to pray for this morning. So if you just uh, go into prayer with me, we're just going to approach the throne together this morning. God, we just love you so much. We just want to come before you humbly right now, and we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving us chen, for seeing us as something of value, for seeing us as just something beautiful, a treasure that has worth. And God, we just thank you that you loved us enough to not leave us in our mess. But the fact that you gave Jesus, that you came to earth and embodied grace, that the one who all things were created for and through, came to earth to save us from our sin. God, I just thank you that you're there for us. And I just pray that everyone in this room can know that they can call on your name in times of hurt. When they know they've screwed up, let them not say, oh man, I hope my father doesn't find out about this. Let them say, I've got to tell my father about this. I've got to go to the father in prayer about this. Because God, you empower us to call on your graciousness, and I just thank you for that. And so I just want to pray for every heart, every soul in this room, that if they're a follower of Jesus, God, that you would just give them strength and boldness and courage to go out and live that, and that, God, if they're lost, that you would just invite them in this morning, God, and that you would encourage them to just come talk to one of us about you because we would love more than anything to do that. And so, God, we just love you and thank you for Jesus. And we pray all these things. In King Jesus' name, amen.